Nope, Jesus is not Yahweh. This is the title of an article just published two days ago uh, on Bart Ehrman's blog. Um, and it's really very good. And I wanted just to read it to you and offer a few comments. For those few of you who still don't know who Bart Ehrman is, he is currently the James A. Gray Distinguished Professor of Religious Studies at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He's an American. Um, and he's one of the world's, if not the world's, leading textual critic and uh, a New Testament scholar as well. Um, he is a prodigious writer uh, and he uh, virtually every day something new comes out and it's very he's very readable. And um, this article, nope, Jesus is not uh, Yahweh, I just wanted to share it with you, published uh, just two days ago uh, on the 17th of April. And he says, in my last post, I pointed out that some conservative evangelical Christians claim that Jesus in the Bible is actually to be understood as Yahweh. I think that's completely wrong. And in this post, I want to explain why. Now, of course, Yahweh is the name of God in the Jewish Bible. So Christians are saying, or many Christians are saying, that Jesus is this God. Jesus is God. He continues, it is not the view of traditional Christian theology, at least as I learnt it once upon a time. It was certainly not the view of the earliest Christians, and it is not a view set forth in the Bible. The Bible, of course, does not have the Trinity. But when Christianity formulated the doctrine of the Trinity, the Father was Yahweh and Christ was his Son. At least that's what Christians who read the Old Testament said. Of course, the name Yahweh is not found in the New Testament at all, since it's a Hebrew word and the Greek is in, uh, New Testament is in Greek. The New Testament does not give God a personal name. When Christians want to find another divine being in the Old Testament to identify as Christ, they went to passages like Psalm 110, which begins, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Based on what I said in my previous post, you can reconstruct uh, who is talking to whom here. Notice that the first Lord is in capital letters. And the second is not. So another way of putting this would be Yahweh said to Adonai. The point here, just to break from the reading for a second, is that the, the name of God, Yahweh, was a holy name, only really uttered by the high priest, at Yom Kippur, and was not mentioned uh, by Israelites normally at all. So they used another word, Adonai, which means Lord, uh, to refer to God. So whenever in English translations, it's still the convention today when the word Yahweh is in the Hebrew, uh, they write L-O-R-D in block capitals. And that indicates in the original Hebrew, it's Yahweh has been referred to. <coughs> Excuse me, Adonai simply means Lord and can refer to people. You know, if you be a, a king, a lord or, or, a, or a father figure. So um, he's saying Psalm 110, if you actually look at the Hebrew, says Yahweh said to Adonai. So it's not two divine beings, it's one, and obviously the one is God, Yahweh. In interpreting that passage, Christians asked, who is that elevated Christ, our Lord, to his right hand? Obviously, God the Father elevated Christ. And so God the Father is Yahweh, and the one elevated to his right hand is the Lord Jesus. Christians appeal to this verse in reference to Christ a good deal. And indeed, he mentions a number of times um, when it occurs. 
These Christians were not seeing Jesus as Yahweh, but as his son, whom he exalted to his right hand. This is a really important point. This is, this is the thing about New Testament scholarship, really good scholarship, is it pays very careful and meticulous attention to what's actually being stated in the text, rather than reading it through uh, a later Christian tradition or any tradition, church tradition, it covers, it takes, takes all that away and focuses just on the text, read in its historical and cultural context. And often that gives readings of the Bible which are quite different from uh, Christian, later Christian readings. So he continues, Christians such as the second century Justin Martyr also found references to the pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament traditions of the angel of the Lord, who was God's, Yahweh's, chief representative on earth, delivering God's message with God's full authority in the stories of the patriarchs, for example, in Genesis and Exodus. Who was this mysterious angel? For Christians, he was Christ before he was born of the Virgin Mary. I wonder if the confusion among evangelicals about the Christian understanding of Christ, when they say he is Yahweh, is because the angel of the Lord is so fully representative of Yahweh himself that he is sometimes called Yahweh after he is clearly identified not as Yahweh, but his angel. Why would he be called Yahweh if he was Yahweh's messenger? Because, by the way, angel means messenger uh, in the Bible. It would be kind of like if a messenger of the king comes to you and orders you to do something, you tell your neighbours that the king has told you to do something. Well, actually, his messenger did. But he was so fully representative of the king that his words were the king's. This happens when the angel of the Lord speaks to Moses from the burning bush in the famous passage of Exodus 3, as you can see. This, by the way, is a favourite passage of Christian apologists trying to prove that Jesus is God. But the early Christians, so far as I know, were clear on this matter. This was Christ coming in his pre-incarnate state as God's chief representative, the angel of the Lord, who was given such authority that he could be considered as having the full status of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, even though he was merely his angel, the view that Christians took of Christ. Some modern Christians may misinterpret the Christ poem in Philippians 2 in this way. Philippians 2 is the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians in the second chapter, is an absolute favourite of Christian evangelists. Uh, I have it constantly read to me as if this proves something to me, as if I've never read the passage before. Anyway, Bart Ehrman says this about it. I talked about the poem at length a month or so ago on the blog. When Christ is exalted after his death, God gives him the name that is above every name, so that all creation will worship and confess him. That is a reference to Isaiah 45, where Yahweh alone has the name above every name, so that all worship and confess him alone. Possibly these modern Christians are thinking that Christ before must have been given the name Yahweh, and therefore he is Yahweh. But the passage doesn't seem to mean that. The ultimate Lord of all, Yahweh, is the one who gives Jesus that name above all others. Now, obviously, stepping aside from Bart here, who has the ultimate authority of the universe? God. 
No one gives God authority. If God gives authority to another entity, another person, another being, that person is not God from all eternity. They receive that authority from Yahweh. So this language of receiving is really important. God doesn't receive authority from anyone else. At least not the God of uh, uh, Abraham, Moses, Jesus and Muhammad. So it's worth noting that in this very passage, this is in Philippians 2, when God gives Jesus his name, it does not mean that he has made a name switch for Jesus. On the contrary, the passage says that the name to which everyone will bow in worship and confess is Jesus, not Yahweh. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, end quote. Jesus' own name is exalted. So how did Yahweh give him a name above all others? Surely that would be, that would be Yahweh's own name, right? Well, yes and no, says Bart Ehrman. He did give him the name, but not in the literal sense of now you are Yahweh. But in the biblical sense, I've been describing, you now have the full authority of Yahweh. What you say and do is equal to the authority of Yahweh saying and doing it. Jesus now at his exaltation, not before, really important point in my view, is given equal authority as the Lord himself. He now has the highest name dash authority equal to God. But that does not mean he is God slash Yahweh. Being equal is different from being identical. Being equal is different from being identical. I just want to just go back here a few sentences um, where he says, Jesus now at his exaltation, not before. So Jesus didn't have this authority before his exaltation. He was given it after his exaltation. So he wasn't God before. He wasn't in any sense as the name or as ontologically or metaphysically. It was something that God gave to him. Therefore, he could not have been God. And the penultimate paragraph is another analogy. When someone says to you, open up in the name of the king or in the name of the law, the name means the authority. And that must be what is meant in Philippians 2, since the literal name is still Jesus, but the authority the name has is now the authority of God Almighty, Yahweh himself. So I simply don't think it's right that Christian theology understands Jesus as Yahweh. Well, I guess some Christians do, since that appears to be what they think. I wonder when they started thinking it, dot, 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 end quote, end of the passage. So I think that's um, actually quite quite helpful and uh, I love the forensic way he analyzes uh, these passages um, and uh, he makes clear that, uh, well firstly, what do we conclude, what can I conclude? That Paul, the Apostle Paul who wrote Philippians, was not a Trinitarian. He didn't believe in God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, when he speaks of God, he means the Father. The Father certainly gives his son, Jesus, authority, but there's no sense of an eternal trinity. From all eternity, there was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is absent from Paul's thinking. So the doctrine of the trinity that developed later is very much an evolution uh, into a new species of uh, theology, really, that didn't exist in the New Testament. 
Um, anyway, I just wanted to share that with you. I will put the link to the Bart Ehrman blog in the description below. It's worth a read um, and worth chewing over. I think it's very interesting. Till next time.